it's like seriously it's so weird because I, I feel like I haven't really been here that much <laughs> I'm like I spoke one week and then wasn't the next week and then I spoke the next week and then last week I wasn't here and then I'm speaking this week and then next week I'm gone again but James is talking next week so Woo. anyway so it's wonderful. hi my name is Aaron if you don't know who I am uh, I'm one of the elders here uh, if you need a Bible there are Bibles in the back if you don't own one if you would like to have one you can take one home if you forgot one you can use one there is sermon notes on all the communion tables around the room so you can follow along on the back of those is actually questions if you have a small group or some friends that are here with you you can actually ask them those questions if you have a family you can go home and ask those questions as well be a whole lot of fun uh, there's a barbecue outside. It just gets better and better. Seriously, first service, they start bra- barbecuing, and I'm like, and my mouth starts watering. It's like I'm going to spit on everybody. Uh, so uh, we are going to, a few of us are going to Haiti on Tuesday, do some relief work. And right outside this door, you see our big, high-tech, really beautiful box. And it says the Haiti box. And in that box, uh, if you guys would like to go pick up uh, or you have some extra toothpaste, toothbrushes. If you have some sandals or shoes for kids four, 4 to 14 years old, you can throw them in there. We will take them with us to the orphans while we're there. That's one of the things they asked us to bring. So if you have something like that, we'll leave the box out there all day. If someone comes by and steals the stuff, I figure they need it more than the kids there do, I guess. So, so we're going to leave it out there all day. You can swing back by, toss stuff in it if you want. Tomorrow we'll start to pack it and take it with us. Also, uh, if you go to our website, ourelement.org, our new website is up. And that enables me, we did it before I left because it enables me the ability to be able to uh, update while I'm there. So we can take pictures and write on the front page in the blog section. I can write about what's going on so you can see what's going on. I'm also Twittering, I guess, now. I sent my first tweet ever this morning. And I said, oh, the barbecue smells so good. That was, that was my tweet. So there you go. Check out the website and you'll get to have updates on what, what's going on where we're at. And... Lastly, I'll tell you this, my, uh, my, my birthday is on July 17th. I will be in Haiti during my birthday, but I am turning 40. So my wife has decided I need to jump out of an airplane. I don't know what that means. So I'm going to go skydiving. I'm going skydiving uh, on July 31st, and I don't want to go alone. So I'm inviting you guys if you want to come with me. I don't... Honestly, I, I don't know how much it is, but my wife is back there, and so if you want to know and you want to come talk to her, and honestly, this is also partly selfish for me, because the more people that go, the bigger discount I get. But, but no, I, I really want people to go with me. We're doing the one where you get, where it's not like you jump out of the airplane and then you, it's like you get a minute of free fall. Yeah. Don't you, don't you want to see what it feels like just to fall? Like you're in the, dr- Okay. People who want to have fun, don't you, where you're falling, it's like you don't have to wake up at the end. It's like, whoosh. You know, it is the one where they strap somebody to you because it's tandem because it costs a whole lot of money to do it on your own with a bunch of jumps tandem already. I really don't want to die with somebody strapped to me, but, you know, whatever, how it goes. But that's what we're going to do. So you are invited to come. We'd like you all to come with us. Talk to my wife if you want to go. It'll be a whole lot of fun. I had five people last service who were going to come. Dude, seriously. Oh, and honestly, the more people that go, the bigger discount you all get as well. So, there you go. Stand with me, the reading of God's Word. Now we'll get to the serious business. This is Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. 
And he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would make us a people who live as your children, who love those around us as you call us to love. Not, not some vague definition of love that everybody else wants to throw at us, but your definition of what love is. Help us to truly live as your kids, being honoring to you. Amen. Have a seat. If you have a Bible, you can open to Esther chapter 2, verse 19. We are going to go through a whopping four verses today. Welcome to Element. So far in Esther, we have seen that the king likes to drink, that his officials like their power, and that Vashti, his wife, liked her honor. And then the king asks Vashti, his wife, to do something very inappropriate. She refuses. The king and his buddies go a little crazy, and they decide to get rid of Vashti as queen and get another queen. Now, in order to get this queen, it takes 12 months for these virgins that they're going to find to go through their beauty treatments. This is perfumes and oils and makeup. So I'm thinking either they're really ugly or they stink really bad or there's a whole lot of rules before you get to see the king. And I think there's a whole lot of rules. It seems everything in life has a whole lot of rules that go along with it. Esther chapter 2, verse 19 says, When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality just as Mordecai had told her to do. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. Now, Mordecai, it seems just like the king, has some rules of his own. His rules for Esther, keep quiet, don't tell anybody where you come from. The Hebrews are not thought of very highly at this point, and so they could have hurt her chances in being this queen. There are rules. There are rules. And things that don't have rules, we still try to put rules to. I mean, no more so than we make up for ourselves in our own lives, lives how to get ahead, how to treat people around you. It's Everything has rules. Uh, no spitballs. Right, you know, spitballs, play it where it lies, run inside the base pass, the base pass, no hitting below the belt, no stealing money from the bank when no one's looking, no dealing from the bottom of the deck for all you poker players. Then, if somebody does break the rules, there are consequences, like three strikes and you're out, rusting up the passer is going to cost you 15 yards. Uh, we usually make rules for, uh, for more for other people than even for ourselves. It's like, oh, those people need rules because they're not living the right way. Do you know? Right now, the PGA has a major problem because every, you know, HD, they're broadcasting golf matches in HD. People are DVRing the golf matches and they're watching them in slow mo. It's like, and, then it's now that, and they're calling the PGA hotline, hey, hole five, so and so, second hit, did this. It's a violation. And they're like, holy cow, what is wrong with people? People are doing this because everybody loves rules. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt actually said he hated baseball because he didn't think anybody should be allowed to throw a curveball. He said, manly players will throw it straight. Whatever. So we have rules. We have consequences for breaking the rules. But then we are also people who try to find a way around the rules. You cork bats. You take steroids. You fudge scores. You like video games. You get mods or cheat codes when no one's looking. And then if somebody does ask you if you cheated, you say, oh, no, I didn't cheat. And sometimes in our dishonesty, we even try to fool ourselves. We have words for people that achieve victory. There are words like winners and champions, but we don't even have a word for people who follow the rules. But rules bring you to a deeper issue, and that issue is the issue of character. Because if we are clever enough, you may be able to find a way to skirt the rules, but that never keeps us from violating our character. And that word is integrity. 
something as simple as a game can test your integrity and something as grandiose as life can test your integrity. Many times, how we live our life reveals who we truly are in here. And we can try to finesse the rules the best that you can, and you may even get away with it. You may even fool yourself into thinking that you're doing okay, but you can never finesse integrity. Aristotle once said that the central question is not what shall I do, but what kind of person shall I become? I will tell you how we live our lives truly shows who we really love and if we are truly God's children, if we are truly following Jesus where he leads. Are we the kind of people that others around us can trust, not because we can talk real well, but because we actually live the lives that God calls us to, living in trustworthy ways? Uh, Psalm 120, verse 2 says, Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and deceitful tongues. Yes, we all want that. But the problem is we all live in a duplicitous nature where we say one thing and we do another. What you'll see in Esther today is that Mordecai has this duality in his character. In some places, he is very full of integrity. We've got to make sure this is right. In other places, it's like, no, Esther, lie to the king. Don't tell him where you're from. We're not going to trust him to work it, God to work it out. Just, just lie. You know, so he's, he's loyal in some regards, and he's not very loyal in other regards. Integrity problems, they start early and they run deep. What this means, I lie. Everybody I have ever known has lied. You know the most famous story in America about lying is the story of like George Washington and the cherry tree. His dad says, who chopped down the cherry tree? And George Washington says, I cannot tell a lie, it was me. That was written in the 19th century in a biography by Parson Weems. And he made the story up. The most famous story in American history about not lying is a lie. It's crazy. Anybody who says that he or she doesn't lie is lying. Mostly, I think you will tell me the truth if I ask you a question. But I honestly think you'd lie to me if you thought it would get you ahead or not get you in trouble if you did something stupid. Integrity issues come up all the time. Politicians spend promises. Telemarketers call up and they feed you lies all day long. Job seekers will pad their resumes. Uh, students steal essays and they claim as their own or bits and pieces and say, no, no, I, I wrote this. Spouses lie to each other about where they spend their money. Teenagers lie to parents about where they've been. Parents break promises to their kids all the time. And even Christians do this. People who know the scriptures. Ephesians 4.25 Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Colossians 3.9 Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Proverbs 11.1 1, The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. We are a people who have this duality in our character where we say, Oh, this thing over here I'm going to hold on to, and this thing, even though God calls me to it, it's not really that important because I don't really want to live that way. Sometimes we are so busy protesting our innocence that we don't even notice our lack of integrity. Have you ever said to somebody, I'll pray for you, and then didn't do it? Have you ever said to somebody, oh, I've been praying for you, and you haven't been because you didn't know what else to say? Have you ever blamed showing up late for something like, oh, the traffic was horrible, or there's a terrible delay and I couldn't make it here, when the truth is you just didn't leave early enough? Yeah, thank you for being honest. <laughs> Have you, ever, have you ever been late with something at work and been like, oh, and you got some excuse that you made up rather than just you procrastinated? Have you ever made a commitment in your life and not followed through? Larry Burkett, uh, who did a financial ministry for years, he died a few years ago, he estimated that fully 50% of people who claim to be Christians have cheated on their taxes. Supposedly, the IRS has what's called a cheater's account to which people send in money on money orders anonymously 
when they feel guilty about not paying their taxes. There's a story, apparently, of one letter shows up, and it says, my conscience is bothering me because of cheating on my taxes, so I'm sending $10,000. If my conscience doesn't clear up, I'll send in the rest of what I owe. <laughs> now, most of us would say that we want to follow the things God calls us to. We really want to be children of God. But we are prepared to break all the things that God says if we think we can get away with it or get a little farther ahead. We are these people who have a duality in our character just like Mordecai. We are ready to cheat if that's what doing well requires. But I will tell you this. This journey that God takes us on in our lives, the journey to doing right and wanting good for all people and being children of God requires some things. It requires cultivation. We need to be people who want to be children of God more than we want to do well. It requires a decision on our part that we will choose to live with integrity and sometimes lose rather than cheat and win. It requires a belief that we cannot succeed in being children of God and yet fail in this area of integrity. Martin Seligman wrote this. He says, The belief that we can rely on shortcuts to happiness, joy, rapture, comfort, and ecstasy leads to legions of people who in the middle of great wealth are starving spiritually. Positive emotion alienated from the exercise of character leads to emptiness, to inauthenticity, to depression, and as we age, to the nine realization that we are fidgeting until we die. This is Mordecai. Look at Esther 2.21. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and inspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Now the doorway, this means they guarded the threshold to his private apartments. There's even some speculation of this guy named Haman, which you'll meet next week. He plays a major start in the part in the rest of the story that he was part of this plot. In 465 B.C., this is exactly how Xerxes did die. His chief advisor, Artabanus, actually assassinated him in his bedchamber. But imagine you're Mordecai. You're a Jew. You're living in Persia. Things are not going well for you or your people. There are stories about the cruelty of the king. There are stories about your most holy day, the Sabbath. The king forces you to work on that day. Your people are denigrated every single day, and you hear of a plot to kill the king. What would you do? Most of your people would say, Be quiet. Don't say anything. Let the guy go. It'll all be okay. Look at, look at verse 22. But Mordecai find out, found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were hanged on a gallows. All this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. This just shows you the duality of Mordecai's character. The first verses I read you, he tells Esther, lie about where you come from. And here he says, no, uh, this life is precious. We need to make sure that we protect it. And so he has this duality in his character. One place he lies, another place he has deep integrity, even though a lot of his people are going to be angry at him for saving the king's life. This is just like all of us. I will tell you two things about integrity. Integrity is not the same thing as knowing the rules. It is not the same thing as knowing the rules. Because our problem is generally not that we don't know what God calls us to. It's that we don't want to live what we already know. Our world is completely tired of people who call themselves Christians and put Christian bumper stickers on their car and Christian fish signs on their trunks and Christian books on their shelves and Christian stations on their radios and Christian jewelry around their necks and Christian videos for their kids and Christian magazines on their coffee tables and yet fail to actually live the life that Jesus calls us to. To fail to live this life of grace and love being children of God. Integrity is not the same thing as knowing the rules. And integrity is not the same thing as reputation. Developing a reputation for integrity is not the same thing as having it. 
You know, Jesus is the only person in the scriptures who uses the word hypocrite. In Greek, it's hypocrite, but hypocrite to describe those who do not practice what they preach. This is how the word worked. There were actors, and they would go onto a stage, and they would wear gigantic masks, and they would call them hypocrites, hypocrites, these actors on the stage. And they wore this big mask so you could see who the character they were playing was. Oh, that character is that. Oh, that character is that. You didn't have, like, you know, TVs and plasmas way back, so you had to play who in the world. So you, they had these big masks. After it was over, they would take off their masks. The audience would clap. Oh, that was so wonderful. And the actors would go off the stage. Now, devout Jews would never go to such plays because they considered them pagan. Well, I won't go to that. That's an evil place to be. And so the word hypocrite, hypocrite, doesn't show up anywhere else in Jewish literature. Jesus is the only one who uses it, which is kind of crazy because it's like this terrible word. Oh, no, no, a Christian would never say the word hypocrite. And Jesus uses the word. And Jesus looks at the religious ruling elite who have a reputation for integrity, and he says, you are actors on a stage. The the implications this would carry for religious leaders who consider themselves devout, who would never go to such a play, was painful to them to hear. But you know what? We are all hypocrites. We are all hypocrites. We all live in this duality. We all struggle with this. A couple years ago, I'm playing volleyball. And our team wins a point, and I come down, and I hit the net on the way down. That's a violation. The ref doesn't see it. You know what you're supposed to do? I hit the net. You know what I do? Half the time I say something, half the time I don't. See, I've got a duality in my character. I'm like, and when I don't say something, I, I, I feel guilty. We're going to lose this game now because I wasn't honest. You know, and then we win. I feel even worse because we win. You're, imagine you're playing, you're playing softball. The, the ump doesn't see where the ball goes. He looks at you and says, was it in or out? Your first thought is, is it going to help my team or not? That's your first thought. We have this duality of character. Do you know, people who take a test and get caught cheating are usually more angry that they got caught cheating than by the fact that they actually cheated. Parents usually more angry by the fact that the ki- their kids got caught cheating than the fact that they actually cheated. We are a people who will cheat secretly and try and get better grades and be thought smarter than to actually just be honest and simply risk having lower grades. We all break God's decrees. We violate God's will. The things God clearly says to us, when it comes in conflict with what we want, we will try and go the other direction because we think breaking the things that God says will help us win or at least avoid pain or or get us what we want. But we do not see that the very violation of things God calls us to turns us into the kind of people who are increasingly incapable of gratitude and purity of heart that makes lasting happiness and meaning actually possible in our lives. John Ortberg wrote, he said, I cannot break the rules. They endure, for they reflect the way things are. I can only break myself against them. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. First book, New Testament. You stole a Bible from the hotel and you got a Gideon Bible. It's really close to the front. With all that integrity. At this point, Jesus is talking about those who live in the kingdom of God, people who are part of a redeemed humanity. And what that looks like. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Now go down to verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. Now people love that. They put that on plaques. They hang them in their homes like, oh, this is such a beautiful. They put on tags on their email. Oh, it's so wonderful. Right? Go to verse 29. Because Jesus then also speaks about the lust and anger in a human heart. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. And if your hand, right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. 
You hardly ever see that hanging on somebody's wall. Okay? That's, that's not what you see. But do you think in this that Jesus is actually proposing dismemberment as a spiritual growth strategy? No, no. I've been gossiping a little too much. Next week, I'm cutting my tongue off. It's, it's done. What Jesus does is he steps into this uh, fundamental discussion about what it takes for someone to be salt and light. People often define goodness in terms of sin avoidance. What am I not doing? You know, how can I, I'll do the right thing by not doing the wrong thing. For the scribes and the Pharisees, this meant don't disobey the Torah. Don't break the rules. So if integrity means avoiding adultery, well, we just won't even look at women anymore. At this time, there's actually a group of rabbis called the blind and the bleeding rabbis. And they took this so far that when a woman walked by, not only would they not talk to her, they wouldn't look at them. They closed their eyes. And they were always running into buildings and falling off curbs and smacking their And they're called the blind and the bleeding rabbis. Now, imagine this. Imagine this. You, you, you see that, and Jesus steps in the middle of that conversation, and he's like, if God's goal for you is simply sit in avoidance, here's a good idea. Whack off any part of your body that might do something wrong, and you'll roll right into heaven a mutilated stump. <laughs> Jesus is being sarcastic, and he's being funny. That's what he's doing. About 15 years ago, there was an article in the paper about somebody in Seattle, Washington, that actually cut off their hand and gouged out their eye because they didn't understand Scripture. There's this Monty Python skit. Uh, I know you all love Monty Python. Okay? And, and King Arthur, you know, he's going to search for the Holy Grail, and he ends up being accosted by the Black Knight. And the Black Knight stands and says, you must fight to me, you shall not pass. You know, and, and so they get in this fight, and King Arthur, like, chops off the guy's arms and his legs, and eventually the guy's laying on the ground, just this mutilated stump, you know, and he's going, and King Arthur's walking, he's all, stop, come back, you must fight me, coward, come back. And King Arthur, what are you going to do to me? You, you got no arms and legs. I will bite you. Come back. And now, the, the, the black knight, he, he's not going to hurt anybody. He's not going to commit murder. But he would if he could because there's murder in his heart. He will never violate the commandment, thou shalt not kill. The point is, my hand, my foot, my eyes are not the problem. The problem is my heart. Integrity is much bigger than simply avoiding and break, avoid breaking the rules. It's becoming the kind of person who follows and surrenders our wills to Christ so that we start to want to do the right thing. Integrity does not mean you get really good at not doing all the things you really want to do. It does not mean using lots of willpower to fight all of your desires. It means you surrender to Christ in such a way that He begins to change your life and you actually start to want to please Him and do the things that He calls us to. Our problem is not just lack of character and integrity, it's that sometimes we can't even see how badly we lack it. Human beings have an almost limitless capacity for self-deception. This is reflected in our culture. There is a survey of 800,000 high school students. They were asked... Uh, whether they were above or below average in social skills. Now, if accurate, they should split right down the line, 50-50, right? You know how many high school students said they were below average in social skills? Zero. Zero. Everybody rated themselves as above average. 25% rated themselves in the top 1% of people with social skills. You think, oh, those are just crazy kids. Yeah, this extends everywhere. The majority of people in hospital rooms from car crashes they caused rate themselves as above average drivers. 88% of college professors rate themselves above average. 25% of them rate themselves as truly exceptional. I don't think I've ever had one of those. <laughs> National surveys show that people claim to feel nine years younger than they actually are, and we claim to look five years younger than people our own age. 
George Barna did a survey of pastors, and 90% of us consider ourselves above average preachers. I have no illusions, okay? Don't worry. <laughs> and when people have this concept of this self-serving bias explained to them, and they say, you know, we are, du- are duplicitous in our character. We have a duality in who we are. The majority of people rate themselves above average in their ability to handle and see the self-serving bias. If something good happens to us, you know, we think it's us. If something bad happens, we blame our circumstances. If I did well on a test, I think it's because I'm smart. If I did poorly, it's because I was distracted. If you like my message on a Sunday morning, it's because I'm a great preacher. And if you don't like it, it's because you're obstinate and heart of heart and you have the attention span of Paris Hilton. (laughs) We are constantly making distinctions between us and other people. If I had a child and I yelled at my child in the grocery store because they just tested my patience to no end, well, that's totally excusable because, you know, my goodness, that would try the patience of Jesus. But if you yell at your kid in the grocery store, you have an anger management problem. And man, you shouldn't have a parenting license in the first place. If I get a speeding ticket, it's because the police need to fill their quota and they shouldn't be out trying to catch, they should be out catching criminals. But if they catch you, it's because you're a terrible driver. That's why they catch you. In 1997, U.S. News and World Report did a survey. And they asked, based upon merit, who do you think is most likely to get into heaven? 79% of people said Mother Teresa. So apparently 21% of people grade pretty darn hard. (laughs) 66% said Oprah. 65% said Michael Jordan. 61% Colin Powell. 28% Dennis Rodman. It is is 1997, by the way. 19% O.J. Simpson. Yeah. You know, one vote-getter actually taught Mother Teresa. One individual got 87% shot at getting past the pearly grades. Want to know who it was? The person completing the survey. The person completing the survey. Our integrity problems run deep. It is hard for us to see the truth about who we are. This is why Jesus constantly says, Surrender to me. Follow me. Give your life to me. You can't handle it. You can truly be who you're supposed to be when you give your life to and follow Christ. Integrity. Being able to be salt and light. Paul says in Romans 3.22, There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody. And are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The way to this is through grace, through repentance, giving our lives to Christ. We need God's help to see the truth about our lives and character. God will enlighten us, not only through times of reflection, but from placing us in positions like Mordecai was placed in, where you have to decide, am I going to do what's right? God promises to give you the strength to do what's right, but will you actually do it? You know why God constantly puts you in situations like that? Because He loves you. That's why He does it. Because He wants you to be salt and light. Because you are not salt and light on your own. Only through Christ, loving and redeeming you, do we become salt and light. That's why I quoted the first verse that we started with, Matthew 5, 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That's integrity. That's living as God calls us to live. How do you love your neighbor? You've got to be honest with them. You have to live not with the duality of your character, but to live with honest integrity. Honesty, grace for those around you, loving as, God, loving as God calls us to love, living as God calls us to live with integrity. Being a people who can truly glorify God. 
and only when our lives truly reflect who He is will we be living as salt and light. Every Sunday morning, I bring you guys to this place of communion because communion is a place for us to honestly reflect about who we are and what we are doing. Communion, you come to this place and you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice and it reminds us of Christ's blood that was shed for you and I. So we take a moment to reflect. This is great forgiveness. God extends to us the grace to become salt and light. But are we duplicitous in our character? Do we have a duality in who we are? Or are we truly living who God calls us to be? So you take communion. Take a moment before you do. And ask those things of God as you sit there before you take it. Where in my life do I have a duality of character, God? And what am I not giving you? And what do I need to? The band's going to come up. They're going to do a couple songs. And as, and as they do, we invite you guys to sing along with these songs. Pray, take communion, sing along. Sean will do the thing. And, and, as, you, and as you do, and as, and as, you, as you sing along, take, think about the words. I mean, one of the songs we sing is, How He Loves Us. And honestly, He does love us. It is an amazing thing that He loves us the, the way that He does. But He loves us because He is good, not because you're so good. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, right? That's, you know. uh, There'll be some uh, Diggins and Elders in the back. And the, if you're a person and you're sitting there going, I, I have not been living as salt and light, and I need to live as salt and light, go and pray with them. Go and pray with them. And maybe they can help set you in a place and on a path that can help you to start to live that way. Get you in a small group, connect with some other people. Uh, there's offering boxes on the sidewall and in the very, very back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. And so we give you the opportunity every week to give as well. Uh, we also worship God through fellowship. There's food in the back, and there's really great food outside. So if, if you want, meet some other people. Part we, we were never meant to do life alone. Part of living a salt and light means we live it with other people. I mean, you can probably be a monk and live on a hill and not do anything and probably be pretty good because you're not going to anything around you that tempt you. But God wants you living in and amongst people, living the life he calls you to as salt and light. Live with people, be people of integrity. Follow Christ, surrender your life to Him. Honor Him with who you are because He is a good God and He loves you more than you can ever imagine. Let's pray. Father, uh, this morning I ask that you would make us into a people who honor you, that you would help us to see who you've made us to be, that we could then lay our lives at your feet, understanding the grace and the goodness of who you are. That we would learn to be a transparent people as you call us to be. Having the inside of our cup the same as the outside of our cup. God, the only way we will ever have the strength to be salt and light is through your grace and your strength. And it's not that you withhold it from us, It's just many times we run from it. Because even though you give us strength, it still takes a lot of character in us to surrender ourselves to you and all that you call us to. So this morning, examine our hearts and expose to us the duality in who we are. And show us where we are holding back from you who you are. so that we 
would truly become what you made humanity to be. Your kids, salt and light, honoring you as our God. Amen.